Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc SOAP and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Good morning. Welcome to um, our soaping here. And if you have your paper Bibles, I'll give you a heads up. Go ahead and flip to Esther 5. We are in Esther chapter 5 today uh, here on Soap. Um, I'm Nick Filoni, and I'm excited uh, to be jumping into this chapter. Um, there's an interesting thing. Like this chapter on, on like face value, when you just first read it, like really quick, um, with the whole story of Esther, this is just kind of like a, a bridge chapter. It's like it, it goes from, um, you know, very famous chapter four um, to uh, the later events of how this unfolds. And so at face value, this is like us, oh, just some extra part of the story that bridges into the, the rest of it. But there's some amazing lessons out of this that we're going to see uh, of what God is trying to illustrate. Um, this is not just like that that extra context or fluff chapter. It is uh, it's got some amazing stuff that we're going to look at today. Um, and there's a little bit of history kind of um, in there, and we'll jump into it. There may be a part where. Uh, yeah, we kind of talk about something a little graphic uh, in there. And so uh, if you have this on with uh, speakers and you have little ones around, uh, maybe there's one portion of this on uh, and I'll announce that uh, that may be a little too graphic for little ones around. Um, and uh, but other than that, let's pray and let's dive into what God has for us in Esther chapter five. Uh, Father, I just pray right now that all of us that are just coming to you, whether it's live right now or it's um, on our podcast or YouTube, Lord, we are just coming with open hearts and minds, wanting to seek your face, wanting to uh, hear your word and wanting to come and sit at your feet and teach us today. Uh, Father, I surrender myself to you that this is your message. This is your word. This is uh, your lessons to us. And so that includes myself as well. Lord, may this be your message and not my own. Uh, Father, just pray a blessing over everyone here, and may we walk away with something that you have to teach us today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. All right, so I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, but there's some other areas, and also if you want to put a finger, if you have a paper Bible with you, go ahead and kind of flip to uh, Psalm uh, 10. Psalm 10, I want to jump into that at a certain point, and so kind of put a little tab there uh, for when we kind of jump into that. But um, I'm reading out of the ESV, but I'll also be referencing out of the NIV a little bit today. All right, verse 1 in chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her robe, uh, her royal robe, and stood in the inner courts of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter. 
that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of, of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Ammon uh, come today to feast that I have come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Ammon quickly so that we may do as Esther asked. So the king and Ammon uh, came to the feast that Esther had prepared And this. Uh, and as this, they were drinking wine after the feast. And the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Ammon come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So interesting how that kind of unfolds. And then uh, here we are at verse nine. Um, and Ammon went out that day uh, joyfully and glad of heart. But <laughs> this guy. But when Ammon saw Mordecai and the king's gate, uh, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was fulfilled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Ammon restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends uh, and his wife, uh, Zeresh. And Ammon uh, recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced above uh, the officials and the servants of the king. Then Ammon said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come to the king, uh, come with the king to the feast she had prepared. And tomorrow, as I'm uh, also invited by her together with the king, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, let, the, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged or hung upon it. Then go joyfully to the king to feast. This idea pleased Ammon, and he had the gallows made. The word of the Lord. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go straight to kind of like the little history uh, weird part. It's right at the end there where he says, uh, and this is out of the ESV. If you're reading out of NIV or some of the other translations, it's probably not talking about gallows as we in our English context look at the word gallows as um, if you remember, like like hanging, right? It was, you know, a big hanging thing that they would have for a noose around your neck. Um, but you may be seeing an NIV or something else where it's a, a stake uh, for him to be impaled on. Um, and so there's this little historical of what is the way. And there's actually an article I read where even to a certain tradition, they even possibly thought that this meant crucifixion, like on a cross, similar to Christ. Um, 
And so there's three different views. The word in Greek here uh, basically just means to hang, like the body, the individual is to hang, not necessarily specifically like in our English language. When we say uh, somebody's going to hang, we typically think of around the neck. Um, in this term, in this uh, time in history uh, in Assyria, the majority of how actually a lot of executions and even when you're trying to embarrass publicly uh, somebody in even after death, it was more of an impalement. And so, um, yeah, this is getting that graphic kind of area. Right. And so impalement would be where the stake would go through the body. Uh, in many different ways, could be between the legs going up or it could be just in the chest through the back. But basically, the body would just hang there after death and it would be just this public humiliation even even after uh, you have expired. Um, and so just looking at historically, you know, there are depictions later on, but uh, majority of consensus would be more of an impalement type uh, way. But hanging by the neck that has been around forever as far as a form of execution uh, with a rope around the neck. Um, impaling was a lot more prevalent at this time for Assyria. There was a lot of times where that was the primary uh, choice of Assyrians in, um, in that uh, Persian empire during that time. So there's more kind of leaning towards the impalement side. And then uh, where this uh, weird tradition of potentially it was a cross like Christ was sacrificed on, uh, this kind of came through when uh, the Old Testament was being translated into Greek. Uh, the problem with this that I find uh, is that I, it really crucifixion on a cross didn't come around until closer to Roman times. Uh, and we saw the Roman occupation prior to uh, Christ's arrival. Uh, in time and in history. And that was more of a Greek and Roman form of execution. And so this time, we really didn't see that as uh, an actual way of executing anybody. Uh, and so, but if you run across that, there would be a history of later on that people would associate Ammon uh, actually as one of the top uh, enemies of the Jews. Uh, and there's old ancient poems outside of the Bible and things like that in history that they would compare him. Uh, and then even at a certain point that uh, they kind of had like a weird ritual during the Feast of Purim, uh, that during that at certain points, they would actually have a figure on a cross uh, and actually set fire to it. And, and it would actually bother a lot of Christians uh, as to like, who are you depicting here? Um, and to a certain point, Jews that were not believing in Christ, some would even say uh, it was a way of poking at the Christians of saying, you know, uh, and so it was it was kind of an odd situation. But it historically doesn't really hold up as far as uh, what the actual way of method this was. So if you're a history nerd, hopefully you like that part. But let's get on with like the rest. Um so kind of going to the back, uh, right back to the very beginning, um, in verse one, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robe. On the third day is referring back to in chapter four, where her and uh, Mordecai talked about, hey, go and get the rest of all of uh, Israel that was in that region and go and fast together. 
right? And she's the one that told Mordecai to do that and what she did. And she was part of this on the third day. So her fasting, this displays that she knows herself spiritual disciplines within her Jewish faith, um, within following God that, you know, fasting is another way of, of coming, drawing closer to God. Uh, and so it demonstrates she fully knows her spiritual disciplines and things to do when really trying to consult with God on how to handle an important and desperate matter, an area where she could have had uh, emotions run away with her, um, Mordecai clearly was very emotional uh, with how this edict that was gone out to uh, eradicate all of the Jews in the area from uh, Ammon. And we see that uh, she just said, no, we're going to fast, right? Let's fast. And so her knowing this adds a lot of height in, uh, in my assumption that she was praying and that she was hearing from God. Now, in the word, it doesn't specifically say that she heard from God, but there's some clues that let me really know to make this assumption that God has spoken to her in these three days of fasting uh, through her time, because she seems very confident in this first portion of scripture in chapter five of what she is doing. She puts on the royal robes and stands in the inner court of the king's palace. She knows what she's It's like God gave her explicit instructions what to do and when to do it and to acknowledge his timing over what she would want to do. And so, therefore, she is it to me, it reads very much like she is very confident in what to do and, and being obedient to what God is ask, asking of her. Again, it doesn't say that God told her this, um, but. I'm kind of reading into uh, the way that this is coming across. So that's what I'm interpreting gospel according to Nick in a way. Right. Um, and so we see that um, Queen Esther comes in and there's some favor already being shown to her that God is on the move. Right. Uh, is that the King holds out his golden scepter. It's, it's that form of, um, you know, we always, or you hear all the time that Jesus sits at the right hand of the father, right? Why the right hand? Because if you, if you want, if you've been in the military, you know, that people that are under your authority that go below you um, that, you know, and if you've ever, if you own a dog and you've been through dog training as well, you want your dog, you want um, your, if you're in the military, you want your subordinates uh, in rank and in, uh, uh, chain of command to be walking on your left hand side. Your left hand side is like these people are underneath my authority, right? This dog is at my authority that you walk to my left. And so there's just this huge cultural implication that um, that is there. And it's been there for a long time. So Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father is very much saying I, he is equal to and has the same authority as God the Father, right? Right hand is like, oh my gosh, that is huge. So that's why, one, that's depicted that way. But the golden scepter in this in culture is like the same thing. It'd be like God with his right hand extending it out to you and trying to say, you, I am extending authority, I'm extending favor, I'm extending, uh, you know, the royalty of love to you. Uh, what is it that you want? Uh, and so him extending that and then her touching it is like an acceptance of, 
um, of that favor that's being bestowed on her uh, in such a cultural royal way. Uh, the golden scepter is kind of like as if you just walked around with a big key to the city. And, you know, I'm, today that would just be weird. You see those uh, ceremonial times where somebody goes, you get a key to the city. Yay. You know, whatever. And some small town movie on uh, on a Hallmark Channel or something like that. And then <laughs> but they just walk around with this like key to the city. That's what the golden scepter is in a way. Um, and he says to her, what is it, Queen Esther? Uh, this is your request. It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And he says this basically two times to make this very clear that your you have favor in my sight. What is it that you request? Um, and so she brings in, and she brings in Ammon too, the the enemy, the one that she knows that is the real problem here. But she invites him into the banquet. She invites him into this feast that she has prepared and exclusively just for the two of them. Again, moving in confidence, moving in understanding. There's there's not a word that shows her hesitation in this, not a word that shows uh, her, you know, kind of just like, I don't know, I'm trying to feel them out and figure this out. Um, there's just, she moves in confidence the way that this is uh, reading. And so, um, honestly, for us, if you have a word from God, if you have a calling from God, if you have uh, an, a deep understanding of what God is working with you on uh, and has given you instruction, walk in confidence with that. Yeah, there. she's probably still in the back of her head, though, maybe going, is this going to work out? Did I bring enough food? Is this banquet really the right thing? I don't know. Um, but this is what God has called me to do. So I'm going to move out with confidence that my God is going to have all this work out properly as long as I follow his instructions. And I want you to also notice that there's an area in here where she could have halfway followed his instructions, but she didn't. She fully went completely to the exact T of what God has instructed her uh, from what I believe, right? And so we see that on the second time, Queen Esther then asks or, or then says, hey, uh, if you if I have really truly found favor in your sight, I'm going to prepare another feast for you guys tomorrow. Why don't you come back then? Uh, she could have went ahead and given the request that she wanted to get rid of this edict that Hammond had put out to kill all the Jews and to save her life and all of this. She could have just went ahead and asked it, but she didn't because she's trusting in what God has uh, put on her heart to do and following it 100%. So two things we'd love to say is that, you know, uh, partial obedience is disobedience. And so she would be disobedient if she had already jumped the gun and went ahead and made the request here. But God's saying, no, wait on my timing. Like she's checked most of the boxes. Now, notice I said most. She's fasted. She's prayed. She's received the king's favor. Uh, she's done what she's supposed to do. Butter up the king as well. And she's even kind to her own enemy. And she's marked off all the boxes, but the big one that's not checked off yet is God's timing. And here she's in the confidence that she's moving in. She knows what God's timing is and she's supposed to wait. 
And that's one of the hardest things for so many of us to do is to say, well, God, everything else is checked off. This is like, this looks like the right time, but she doesn't. She goes, I got another feast for you. Come back to that one and I'll fulfill this. But the timing's not right. And she moves in confidence. And so uh, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing, right? It, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong, wrong thing. Uh, and so these two really play with each other right there. Uh, one of the things that just really jumps out at me is in Psalm 23, uh, and specifically in verse 5, where God, one of God's promises through the psalm uh, that David wrote uh, mirrors into here and has been almost demonstrated in this is that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. She has been uh, given specific instructions by God. She has been, she's walking in confidence, which lets me know she's filled with the spirit. She understands what God wants with her and she's executing this well. Um, she has prepared this table uh, now she's done this under what I believe is God's instruction. Uh, and so therefore it's God, you have prepared a table before me, even with my enemies in front of me, like, look at this, look at God move on what he is doing, showing this favor, this promise, uh, to those that love him and that are obedient to him. So some amazing part. And then we get into this last portion of um, from verse nine down to the end uh, of this chapter where uh, Ammon just really is <laughs> this guy. This guy is comical. I would love to see this guy in like a sitcom because he would just be like this, this annoying, uh, really overly prideful, goofy dude that just I think it would be kind of like comical just seeing how foolish this guy is. Um but he walks out, he's super joyful and glad of heart because he just got fed really well. And, and he was recognized above everybody else, minus the king, you know, but he's right there with the king. He's sitting next to him and the queen. And he just he just thinks he's the bee's knees, you know, like he's just like, I'm so good. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to tell all my friends and make them jealous because I'll feel even better when my friends are jealous. And that's exactly what he goes and does. He, he's like, well, I'm going to go tell all my friends because I want to see the envy on their face. And, <laughs> and he runs out to go do this. But on the way, he sees Mordecai. And like the only thing this guy did was stand up for his own beliefs and just not bow down to him, which is just comical that hundreds of thousands of other people are doing this like in chapters earlier saying that we need to bow down to Ammon and he's just the only guy that's just, I'm not doing that. Um, look, I'll respect you as a person, but you're not my God and I'm not going to bow down to you. Right. Uh, and so out of hundreds and thousands of other people that are doing that, he's so absorbed because one guy is not. And therefore that guy, and then his race, and he's just going to, I'm going to annihilate you and all your people because uh, you make me make me really annoyed. <laughs> and so uh, we just see that this is just hilarious and that he's so mad at him for this and he wants to annihilate all this. Um, 
So nevertheless, Ammon restrained himself and went home and he uh, sent for his friends and his wife. I'm going to tell you all of the amazing stuff. I'm so awesome. Everything is awesome. I'm the best thing that ever happened to Assyria and Persia. And uh, look at me and blah, blah, blah. And I and sat with the feast and I'm going to and I'm going to get to do this again tomorrow because I'm so awesome. Um, and yet. None of that is worth any. He says in verse 13, yet all this is worth nothing to me because he's so absorbed with Mordecai. He's like, he's just so hell bent on this idea that Mordecai will just not uh, bow down to him. And he's just uh, being obedient to his God, to our God that we love and cherish. And so he's just like, no. And it's this over. Uh, done self sense of pride and a deep sense of needing to feel uh, validation from literally everyone. So if one person doesn't validate him, one person doesn't like uh, follow this, this self-absorbed rule, uh, then he, he just, he's just out of whack, which doesn't make any sense. Right. And so this guy's just going crazy. And, there's just this idea of like, are we absorbed with one little issue when there's so much other that's going on around us? That's it, it, we're getting all like, are are you getting recognized and getting praised? But just because one person isn't giving you the amount of uh, attention basically that you want, are we so absorbed with that one negative that all of the other positive now, I mean, in this guy's story, it's a little weird, but Overall in our life, when there's so many amazing things that are going on, all the blessing that God has given us, the roof over our head, the food on our plate, the provision that we have uh, to do, and the, and the freedoms in which we live in, in this country specifically, and we like totally take all of that for granted. It's never anything that we praise and thank God for. We're just so absorbed with the one issue. with my car problem or with uh, somebody uh, that I'm having an issue with at my workplace or uh, a family member that's whatever. And I'm not saying that those things uh, are, are that we shouldn't handle those and we shouldn't like worry about those, but there's a point of like, you know, what's going on where we're not, we're out of sorts here. We're making something so much bigger than what it needs to be. In comparison, we are just highly, highly blessed, and we should be walking around with a giant smile on our face and praising and thanking our God for what he does for us all the time. Uh, and there's just this level that we can kind of identify sometimes where uh, a small bad thing can we blow it up in our head and it overconsumes so many other amazing blessings that we have in our life. And this guy just has taken it to a whole nother level. Uh, that uh, we don't even see. And this guy's just, he, he's, I, I laugh because I know the ending of the story. And so if you, this is your first time through Esther, um, it's going to be pretty good. But it's just wild. Like, where are we in our perspective of life? And have we allowed our perspectives to get out of whack? Uh, to manipulate our emotions. And then we feed off of those emotions and react off of those emotions. And then we just, and then other people are looking at us like, 
that it, look, I get that that sucks. That's not cool. Like whatever issue you have at work, that's no fun, but realize you're still blessed. You're still provided for, you're still loved and cared. Your God is still there. You know, uh, your church family has your back and we're praying for you. And so there's this level of like the totality of your life still looks great. And you're letting this one thing absorb way over all of that. And, uh, our perspective gets out of whack. And so this is exactly what, um, you know, Ammon is doing by allowing Mordecai to blow his perspective out of the water and all because of a seed of pride. Um, so then he lets his wife talk to him and his friends and saying, well, you should just hang this guy. You should just hang him on, uh, and impale him on a pole, you know? So, uh, go set that up, go set up this giant pole, man, bad advice will set you up for your own doom. And this man is doing exactly that. If you know the story going forward, uh, spoiler alert, right. A little bit, but my man is, um, is this really the right way, the right way to go? Um, but we'll see how God actually operates through this, but so much so that through all of this ugliness, through all of this, if we jump to uh, Psalm 10, uh, I just want to read Psalm 10 to us. And you just kind of really can see uh, the parallel here. Uh, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In this arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. It's, it's like this is all David writing. This is not even in the same generation. This is not even within a close generation. The uh, David is hundreds of years later, um, and yet the the same problem that David is writing about here in Psalm ten is very very similar to what Mordecai is having to deal with with him and trying to hunt him down uh, through this and the rest of the Jewish population. Um, So he hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes of his devices. He boasts about the cravings of his heart and he blesses the greedy and reveals and reviles the Lord in his pride. The wicked man does not seek him. Ammon doesn't seek the Lord. He seeks himself. He completely sees this in all his thoughts. There is no room for God. His ways are always preposterous. Uh, Our laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. His lies and wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. Such a parallel with uh, Ammon here. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies and waits. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. 
Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his hand. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You incur them and you listen to their cry. Defended the fatherless and the oppressed so, um, so that mere earthly mortals will never strike terror again such a great parallel from psalm 10 to what is going on here to me a lot of that is probably the almost the exact cry that mordecai uh and even queen esther are both crying out to the lord for uh in this situation of what haman um is doing uh and so when we're in a situation we see an area of two ways to handle it. We can take Ammon's approach and blow up the whatever situation, whatever little small offense, and we can let uh, emotions and pride overtake us to the point of even as spoiler alert, self-destruction. But we also see the other way of going about it. Fasting and praying and believing and trusting in God to help be your provider, be your guide, be your light. When you're going through a situation when people are actually trying to persecute and oppress you, when uh, situations look like they're trying to overtake you and you don't see a way out of it, do we just run in fear and uh, allow even more emotions to try to dictate our actions or do we press into God? Do we realize that he is Lord of all and that he is our good, good father? So do we fast and pray and do we want to hear and obey his way versus making our own way to finding victory through whatever it is? Remember that the battle is his and the victory is already won. And so let's let's dive into what God has uh, for us versus our own uh, prideful thinking and our own uh, emotions that dramatically run away uh, with the situation. And we see that Esther uh, does exactly that. She moves in confidence with what, she, after fasting for three days and praying, hearing from the Lord, from what I believe, as she moves confidently in the plan that is set for her uh, and her people. And so today, what is that that you're doing? And whatever trauma or issue or problem, maybe it's a medical, maybe it's financial, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's a combination. I don't know. But are seeking God, seeking his guidance and counsel, wisdom and his word in your life. And if so, I promise you, he is guiding you the right way. Follow it with confidence in full obedience. All right. And so uh, other than that, 
Let's have a great Thursday. Let's have a great weekend as we come up into uh, our Miracles in Motion um, uh, month as we continue to move through this. We're excited. Uh, one of the amazing things that happened yesterday was actually Pastor Sean got a word from the Lord. And I want to pass that on to some of you that was not there was that also, as we see in here, this is what God is also saying. As the king here extended the scepter to uh, Queen Esther and said, what is it? What is your request? Uh, it will be given to you. God is saying, if you come to me, come to sit at my feet, your heavenly father, what is your request? It will be given to you, but come to me, come and sit at my feet. The answers are right here, not in the other places that you think they are. Not in the way the world wants to operate, not in the way that uh, your emotions want to operate. Come to me. I'm here. I'm your father, and I love you. Well, let's pray. And Father, we just thank you right now for your word. We thank you for uh, this understanding of uh, two ways and two approaches to how to handle um, situations in our lives. We can either let emotions and and pride and uh, sinful ways of thinking uh, manipulate and, and completely drive us towards one way, which is ultimately going to lead to our destruction. Uh, or Lord, we can press into you. Our good father that loves us, our good father that has so much an infinite amount of wisdom uh, that we just sit at your feet, bring our petitions to you and let you coach, love, mentor, guide us uh, into, into your victory, Lord. Uh, so we just thank you right now for these perspectives in this way that we should be learning to come to you for every problem, no matter how great or small. Uh, may we just trust in you. May we obey you fully and may you always be with us. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you guys. Take care. God bless. We'll see you next time and we'll see you this Sunday as well. Love you all. Have a good one.